should we conduct all our interviews via Zoom? If we bring somebody in face-to-face, do they have an advantage over that person who was in Zoom? So for me, that's where you need to be incredibly thoughtful. The same thing in how you're managing people. So, you know, I rock into the office maybe two days a week, two and a half days a week. How do I make sure that the people who work out of the office don't have an unfair advantage over people who are working in a distributed environment because of their proximity or their ability to create connections. So again, I think having very fair performance management processes, that's really important. Welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day. Find out what it takes to truly discover what it takes to elevate your career within payroll as we meet with the industry leaders who are shaping the industry for tomorrow. Hello and welcome back to the HR LMD podcast. My name is Nick Day, CEO at JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist HR recruiters. Now, of course, if you are listening to this, please do remember to share it with all of your HR colleagues. Remember to review it and let's really raise the profile of HR together. And today I'm really excited because I'm joined by Colm O'Quenon, General Manager of EMEA for Greenhouse Software, who work with top tech companies, including HubSpot, DocuSign, Wafer and more to make hiring better by reducing bias and essentially just streamlining the recruitment process. Now, a recent economic sentiment survey of over a thousand UK employees found that despite a recession being inevitable, 56% did not anticipate that this would impact on their wages. In fact, it discovered that many are actually hoping to see further increases next year. Well, Colm believes that companies should use any downturn in the job market as the time to meaningfully invest in hiring strategies so they're ready and prepared for when they need to ramp up again. If they don't, companies risk losing out on top talent later, and it's then that it often really matters. I know this as a recruiter, when the market went crazy with the the great resignation or the great awakening, many companies were not ready. Well, Colm is also passionate about building high growth businesses and leading teams to great results. And he says that his purpose is to make a positive contribution to the transformation and career development of the individuals that he works with. So let's find out more about Colm's background. But more importantly, we're going to find out a lot today about people first companies and how that links to talent sourcing in this new world of work. Something that, as an owner of a recruitment business myself, I'm also incredibly passionate about. So, without further ado, Colm, welcome to the HR LD podcast. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling good, Nick. Thank you so much for such a lovely introduction. Lovely to be here with you. Super, super excited to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. Before we jump into that, my first question for all my guests is this. What do the words human resources mean to you? I think that the world of human resources is changing rapidly away from the 20th century view of human resources as a compliance function. Column, you know, you haven't done your training, HR is looking for you to focusing more on the human side of HR, so the people side of HR. And I think that's massively been accelerated by the pandemic. So the pandemic has changed how companies view and value employees, where they work and so on. And companies are rethinking their relationship with their employees, you know, putting them at the center of everything they do. And ultimately, that's resulting in the emergence of a human focused company. And, you know, what we call in Greenness, we call them people first companies. So, so focusing on people, prioritizing the needs of employees so that their organization can foster a more productive and a more engaged workforce. And ultimately, that leads to, to better business outcomes by essentially becoming people-first companies. 
Love that. I'm going to find out a lot more about what that means during the context of today's show. But I think we've seen you know, the, the world of personnel moving to HR. We're now seeing a lot more titles becoming chief people officer, for example, and people coming into those titles. We'll explore that in a, in a moment. Before we do, though, just to really ground it, and I'll give a little bit of an introduction to your background, Colin, but you've worked for some real tech giants in your career history to date, the likes of Oracle and LinkedIn. So I wonder if you could just bring the listeners to sp- up to speed with, uh, with your background and what leads you to, to being general manager of, of Greenhouse and on this, on this show today. Yeah, I suppose ultimately my, my background is building and scaling teams. So, you know, as you mentioned at the start, what I get most out of working with people is is seeing what individuals that I've worked with have gone on to achieve. So I started off in leadership in Oracle. I suppose my key skill set is focusing on the EMEA market and building sales teams predominantly outside of the US. So, so you know, every, every country in, in Western Europe. Then I went to LinkedIn and again, the focus there was building, accelerating sales teams. I suppose what's unique about the, the role in Greenhouse is then I pivoted into the general manager position where there is that focus on revenue growth and, and, and growing Greenhouse over the long term. But then there are also other aspects of the role. So for example, building our service capability to make sure that we service customers in this region in the same way at the same levels as we service customers in our home market in the US. And then the last aspect of the role is zoning in on product market fit. So really making sure that our product is you know tailored for the unique needs of every market, whether that be the UK or the German market and, and so on. Perfect. Perfect. Well, let's jump into the, the concepts today show them really talking about why talent matters now and why we get recruiting strategies right and also what people first companies mean. I mean, your website hits you quickly. It's uh, the future belongs to people first companies, it says on, on Greenhouse's site. And there will be a link in the show notes directly to that for those who want to find out more later on. But what does that really mean? The future belongs to people first companies. Well, I suppose it's probably worth stepping back and giving a little bit of context to why, sure. why we say that. First of all, you know, despite what's happening externally, hiring remains very, very competitive. So, for example, you know, where you are in the UK, if you remember back to September when there was so much economic turmoil, at the same time, you had job numbers that came out that showed unemployment was at its lowest since 1974. So, you know, a huge shortage of talent. Then if you look at the economy and, you know, the economic makeup of a lot of modern economies, there's a shift from you know, manufacturing to more a services economy. So ultimately, that's a human capital focused economy. And then, as I, as I touched on earlier, the pandemic, you know, that disrupted work massively. People exited the workforce and companies started to understand the importance of talent. So where they work, you know, how they work, who they work for becomes really important from a talent perspective, but also what type of company that they work for, you know, and the values alignment that that company has with their identity. And that comes through in research that we've done. So, you know, every every couple of months we do candidate surveys. And in the most recent research, 91% of candidates believe that a healthy, diverse, inclusive company culture, that's really important to their decision-making about where they work. But then what also comes through in the research is they're looking for greater flexibility. So flexible hours, they're looking for transparent DNI commitment and efforts and a clear purpose driven company mission. So that's really coming true in, in the data. And I suppose what we see is that companies who prioritize those candidates needs and adopt people first practices, they're going to win the war for talent. So ultimately, you know, they view their people as highly strategic 
asset? Do they view the HR function as a highly strategic function and not a HR function? And and ultimately, you know, they do this to create a critical advantage for themselves. So, so what does that look like? Well, it means that companies who are people first, they act with intentionality about purpose, about values, about culture, including DNI. And and Nick, I suppose that may be table stakes for, for you, but I met somebody for coffee yesterday. They're working in France and they're working on a startup that's raised 30 million. And he's going like, I've met the CEO and I'm trying to do some consultancy with them. And you know, he has no company mission, he has no company values, you know, so what might be table stakes maybe really isn't isn't table stakes. You know, then they, they care about fair and equitable hiring as part of their competitive business strategy. What that allows them to do is, first of all, give everybody who engages with the company a fair shot at getting a job. And if you get a fair shot at a job, like that can be life-changing for you and for the economic circumstances for your family. But as a company, you know, by being people first and taking that approach, that allows you to tap into more diverse talent pools as well. So it gives you a competitive advantage versus your competitors. They also focus on collaboration and employee experience. And that's become particularly important in a world where, you know, we could be working from, I'm in my kid's bedroom right now. You know, so if you think about how easy it is for me to shut my PC working for one company and open my PC working for another company. So it's really important that companies really build that connection to employee experience. And I suppose the last thing we see People First Company do is leverage technology to drive human-centric employee engagement. So for me, there are the key elements to being a People First Company. There's a lot to, lot to pull out of that. I couldn't agree more with pretty much everything you've said, right? It's the world we're living in now, moving away from command and control into a world of coaching cultures and psychological safety, right? I guess the question I'd like to ask, pre-pandemic, a lot of businesses were compliance first. Post-pandemic, we seem to be companies wanting to get to more of a people-first mentality. We all know that the global pandemic drastically altered the way people work, the way that people live their lives in a very, very short space of time. And it's it's kind of rapidly advanced technology in the, in the way that we, we approach work now. Do you think we'd be having this conversation, though, if the pandemic hadn't come when it did? Do you think we're already on that pathway but that pathway to be where we are now would have taken 10 years. Have we fast-tracked that? Or were we already on this kind of step change? I think we were on the journey, but at a slower pace. So, for example, if you think about people first, guess what? You know, when I was an Oracle, for example, I worked for a fabulous leader who made sure that everybody in the organization had a development plan, that every quarter, you know, that every individual contributor with their manager, they updated that development plan and was built into career ladders and so forth. So I think in every organization, there were pockets of brilliance where somebody could get that tap into that incremental 10 or 20 percent of extra energy and, and productivity by taking that people first approach. But I think it's a bit like hiring as well. So, you know, guess what? You know, in previous companies, I also adopted a structured hiring process, but it might have been more like individual managers doing something in a very good way as opposed to doing it at scale and i think the pandemic accelerated the requirements to do stuff at scale so for example you know companies have to move their hiring to digital guess what you know then you do need to step back and be very structured in how you hire somebody to make fair decisions to make good decisions similarly from an onboarding perspective you know you know, one of my kids, when I, I remember when I was in a previous company, said, okay, you've hired this person, what should you do? And my kids said, put them beside the smartest person in your team. 
that doesn't sort of work in this environment. You know, it's it's how do you create a very structured onboarding process so that, you know, a candidate or an employee can go, okay, my company has their stuff together. And it's doing that at scale. And for me, that's what's changed from a pandemic perspective. We've, we've had to take individual best practices and do them at scale, as well as knowing that lots of people have exited the marketplace. So for example, I was in Washington last week, the person that I was sitting beside retired at 57. He was going, actually, I just decided I'd had enough and the pandemic, you know, made that happen. Hence, you know, when I go back to earlier data points like what happened in the UK in September, despite, you know, what was going on economically, there was still a massive shortage for talent. So I think all of those things combined sort of accelerated a trend or a journey that we were on already. Sure. No, that that makes sense. I think something that... um... I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate with these. We've got some stats I'd like to ask you about in, in just a moment. But I think one thing, we're going to have business owners listening to this, entrepreneurs, small business owners that listen to this podcast and the show as well, and HR directors that are going to be feeling like they're giving, 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 giving. You know, that the more we give, the more people seem to ask for. It's a human trait, whether you've got, you mentioned your, your kids earlier, you know, if we, if we spoil our children, they want more and, 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 they, and they see the value of that product or thing less each time they get something else right because the value becomes less so if we suddenly went from you know nine to five thirty command and control to suddenly giving someone the ability to come into work one day a week at 10 a.m that'd be seen as a huge thing we've gone the whole way now there's full flexibility people working from home and what we're seeing in the world of recruitment is and rightly so employees are going to consistently say now we want to look at a four-day working week or now we want this benefit or a little bit extra salary here and at what point, what's the breaking point for the business owner listening to that who feel like, okay, I can do all these things. I want to get the top talent into my firm, but I also want to make sure I can afford it and I can offer the things and it doesn't break the back at the same time. Is there a breaking point? How far can we go with this? So I think there are certain essentials. So for example, you know, we have a customer support line. That support line has to be staffed for certain hours. Otherwise, you know, we, we, we can't function as a business. So I think there are certain prerequisites that every organization has. But I, I'd always bring it back to like a lot of this is scaling best practices. So for example, you know, at, at one stage of my career, a mother had just come back from maternity leave. And when her kid was sick, you know, my view was, okay, if you need to work from home, work from home, that's fine. What I found by just behaving in, in a way that I would expect, you know, my partner or my wife to be treated, that all of a sudden I got huge incremental loyalty, but also, you know, people genuinely are goal orientated. So the work mightn't have been done by five o'clock, but it was done at a different time. And, sure. and ultimately you're able to tap into that productivity. And I think that's what's changed is it's it's not nine to five anymore. You know, people might work you know, 9 to 12, 30, they might go to the gym for an hour, they're back, they work on later. But, you know, if you have the systems in place to measure uh, and to manage people in a fair way, I think it it, it improves the deal for, for everybody. You know, you get better, more energized workers who can plan their lives around their work. And, and ultimately, you know, that creates the atmosphere, the environment where they're going to stay with you for a much longer period of time. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So tell me a little bit about Greenhouse's People First vision. You've told us about what People First means. How how are you uh, implementing that at Greenhouse? Yeah, in, in terms of in Greenhouse, I mean, there's lots of different things that we've done. First of all, you know, we've very strong DNI commitments. So we've got diversity goals that no one group would be greater than 60% from a company perspective. So that's sort of one thing. We've backed that up 
with you know creating employee resource groups and employee resource group representation but not just that we've also rewarded people who are involved in employee resource groups because that takes time and it takes energy so we've done that right down to giving people who are involved in ERGs we've given them extra equity and so forth to sort of give a recognition that this is really important work for the organization we've also doubled down on our employee value proposition so we can clearly articulate you know the, the the unique opportunity that comes with greenhouse we are a hybrid company we're a distributed company that has had a huge impact on our ability to tap into building more diverse teams tap into hiring people from underrepresented groups that has brought in greater diversity of thought into our organization so we've had huge wins there we've also invested significantly particularly during the pandemic in building out career ladders across each function so that people can see okay promotions you know, have clear criteria and I can be promoted in a, in a fair equitable way and I suppose the last piece and we, we've done a ton I could keep talking but we've also put strong structures in place to listen to our employees so 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 we've used some structures that we always had we've done employment engagement surveys we've done inclusion surveys we do that consistently we feed the results of those surveys back to our staff, both the positives and the, the development areas, and then build sure. plans to sort of zone in our, on, on our development areas. But then we brought that down another level. So we do skip levels. We do radical candor sessions with teams. We do company ask me anything sessions where literally every question that's floated gets gets answered either on the call or subsequently in in slack so so a massive focus and i suppose the last thing particularly in the hybrid world is around building connection how do you get employees together to collaborate in a hybrid distributed environment we leverage we work so we we allow employees to get together in teams as suits them but then we also do more formal get together events we've branded them gather at events so last week i was in washington all our execs went to an event in washington which was a meet with our, our meetup with our employees based in that region. The week before, we had a seminar event in Dublin. A couple of weeks before that, I was at a seminar event in Denver. So the goal really is to try and find reasons and occasions to create greater connectivity with employees and ultimately build transparency and build trust. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like you're doing a lot of jet setting at the moment in Colm, so it must have I'm, doing, uh... I'm Actually, the last thing that we have done, which I think is really cool. Now, we, we are copying what a couple of other companies have sure. done, like Airbnb, which we've created a global passport program, which allows companies, you know, where, where they're allowed and where we have the business flexibility to work for, for up to 60 days from, from another jurisdiction. And again, the idea is that doesn't suit every employee, but it gives a certain demographic greater flexibility. You know, it's, it's, it's a significant employee value proposition sure. point that ultimately, you know, the goal is to lock in skilled, productive employees for longer because they, they have that loyalty with the organization. Sure. Well, it sounds like you're doing some fantastic work. I'll be interested to, and maybe you've got some results already, and by all means, share them with me if you do, but I would love to know what the impact of some of these people first visions and, and things you've implemented have started to have on the business. I don't know if it's too soon to measure, or do you have some impactful well, results that you can share? I mean, yeah, we, we, we have particularly high engagement survey results, so that comes true. We also have um, very low employee turnover. Actually, I can tell you a great story. So we did a customer meetup in Berlin a couple of weeks ago, and I won't name the company. You, you named them at the start, so I won't name them. But what they said to me, Colin, was like, what's the secret sauce here? Because 
we've worked with in, 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 in the organization that he was working for. He'd worked with Greenhouse for three and a half years. And prior to that, he'd worked with Greenhouse for uh, another two and a half years. So six years overall across two companies. And his feedback was, over that time, I've had four or five different customer success managers. And for me, two things jumped out. Or for him, two things jumped out. One of them was the quality of customer success managers that we had versus maybe competitors or other suppliers that he had. But the second thing, and, and to me, the, the most notable one was all of those CSMs were still working for Greenhouse. And what he said to me is, look, Colm, that's not normal. What's the secret sauce here? And for me, the secret sauce is that people first orientation where you build that long term relationship with employees that ultimately then has a massive you know, commercial results because our customers are seeing it. They, they regard it as something that's unique that we have versus other tech suppliers that they use. Yeah, fantastic. And you know what? I'm, I don't mind. Uh, I'm going to say it here as well, because I think we follow. I'd like to think JJ Recruitment follows a similar approach. We've just um, the last couple of months been uh, given the uh, Great Place to Work certification, which is exciting. And we scored top 95 percent. And the average tenure of a recruitment force here is um, is eight years per consultant, which in the world of recruitment, you'll know agency size is pretty rare. So um, everything you've said, I'm absolutely bought into. Well, I would like to take it a level further then, because as a tech platform working in the world of talent as you are, and actually I'm very familiar with Greenhouse. We have a number of our clients that use the software that we then partner with and support as well. So I'm very familiar with it. I wonder if you can give me some of your thoughts on some stats that I've, I've pulled together here in terms of just, um, I guess, anchoring this for the for the listeners in terms of what the workforce are feeling at the moment. Because there has been some research, and I know that, um, Colin, you, you've seen this research yourself, but some of the stats, some of the headline stats, and I'll share this in the show notes for those interested, is 75% of employees believe that employers should offer hybrid working because of the current cost of living crisis. Over 60% of UK respondents received a pay increase this year, with over 35% of those receiving more than a 5% wage increase. I'm going to mention four. Third one is a generational divide where 53% of 25 to 34 year olds said they would consider leaving a job if uh, they cut their work benefits. But only 24% of 55s would consider leaving. I thought that was really interesting. And the mm -hmm. last one I picked out was 47% uh, of employees did expect to see their salary increase this year, with Londoners most confident they'll see an increase at 50%. I think that's really interesting with the cost of living crisis we're going through, with the political turmoil we've experienced, the, the talks of double recession and everything else. What's your experience? How, how do those stats land for you? And, and what should employers be noticing from these? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we also carry out similar research and flexibility certainly comes through. Like the majority, I think it was in a in, in, in survey we did earlier in the year, 67% of candidates wanted flexibility. That was their number one yeah. uh, determining factor in where to work. I think that sort of plays out from the pandemic. If you go back to, you know, we... We were very comfortable for a long period of time with everybody working from home. So, you know, for, for us in Greenhouse, that's something that we stuck with because it sort of would feel a bit schizophrenic where, okay, the pandemic is now over. We no longer trust you. Let's bring you back to the office. And that's sort of the statement that, that you would make. It, it doesn't mean that everybody can do it. So obviously, sure, I work sure. in a, in a white collar environment. My wife, my, my wife's a pharmacist. She has to be in the pharmacy that that's that's sort of how it works but i do think that is massive and i don't think that's changing anytime soon and, and for example you know in, in one of our last onboarding classes i think we hired 15 people and of those 15 people all but two were distributed now there's no universe where they're going back to an office yeah anytime soon so so in terms of flexibility 
I think that ship has sailed, the horse has bolted. we got to learn. And, and I do think there are ways that we got to learn to engage with employees, particularly around trust in that hybrid environment. In terms of pay, I think that it comes back to, despite what's happening externally, there still is a shortage for talent. I do think that employees have reasonable ex- expectations when it comes to pay. But they, you know, things that I think will cause significant emotion is if somebody is on a career path or a career ladder and they've worked hard to move up to the next level in their role. If, if that's held back for a, pl- a prolonged period of time, that certainly then will have the impact of, of your third point where they go, actually, maybe, maybe I, I can work in a better environment and I leave. I do think that despite what's happening, you know, a lot of companies are, you know, and, and, and good companies are prioritizing lots of spend and where they can potentially, you know, find spending cuts ahead of cutting people expenses. So in every organization, to me, the way you do that is you get your exec team to work together really closely, line by line, to try and find the fast in the organization with a view to protecting your people and protecting your ability to pay your people in an environment you know that that's highly inflationary where you see that not happening oftentimes is where people have to make aggressive cuts so it's, it's not always the case but sometimes it's easier just to take a bottom line expense out of people rather than going really really granular as an exact yeah. team line by line to find those cuts so in terms of leaving i do think there's so much that you can do to build loyalty particularly in a flexible and in a in a hybrid environment Have you ever asked yourself, how can I recruit payroll staff effectively? Please don't give up on your recruitment project just yet. Here at JGA Payroll Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top payroll talent. We also understand just how costly a poor payroll hire can be. JGA Recruitment are a niche payroll recruitment agency who will partner with you to resource payroll candidates who will improve both the accuracy and efficiency of your payroll department. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. I think I agree with everything you've said. Interestingly, you mentioned the word trust, and that's something that's really come to the fore post-pandemic. And, and during the pandemic, of course, I had Stephen Covey on the show talking about if you trust your employees, you'll inspire them, and then product- productivity follows. Um, and I think you mentioned earlier in the show about being more output-led. You know, if I want to go to the gym for an hour, it shouldn't matter providing the outputs are there and we're agreeing to, you know, I'm trusting my employees that they'll deliver those outputs. Now, that's that's been a big cultural shift, I think, for a lot of employers. I think that's really, really interesting. I think something that sprung to mind for me, I don't want to do myself out of a job as a recruitment uh, owner here, but it's really interesting watching companies and employers react to losing a member of staff. It's at that moment that suddenly they're able to offer higher salaries to replace it, and they're willing to offer flexibility to replace it. Often the reason people are leaving in the first place was due to lack of flexibility and lack of salaries. It's almost that enlightening moment where they suddenly go, actually, there really is a a talent shortage here because we can't replace this individual. And now they're offering all the things. They they offered it in the first instance. Maybe that employee never would have left in the Uh, first place. I I think that that's the worst thing that an organisation can do. It's just where... They have, you know, two people and they're doing the same job 
And they're at vastly different salary levels because, again, when, when I started working, certainly you didn't share your salary details with sure. your colleagues. That's much more likely to happen right now. So pay transparency is coming through as a trend that's very, very significant. I do think if you go back to the people first idea, companies that proactively deal with this, that you know run MERS cycles every year, that benchmark their salaries versus the external market, they're much more likely to succeed over the long term and to keep their their people. So for me, that, you know, again, if you go back to people first companies, that's sort of a prerequisite. Sure. Now, I know you've talked about some of the things that uh, employees are demanding. So is that the answer for companies that want to attract and retain talent now to listen to those employees and provide those things you've talked about? Or is it a little bit more complex than that? The biggest challenge that employers have right now goes back to that idea of trust. There's a really interesting person. He's, he, he could be a great person to bring on your show. His name is right. John Reardon, and he was the chairperson of Shopify in Europe. He's now set up an organization in Ireland called Remote Ireland to drive that, that hybrid distributed work. But, you know, what, what he learned from his time in Shopify was that the single most important factor in creating that loyalty was trust and, and the focus of trust. And for me, I think, you know, trust is built at every stage in your engagement process with in your world with candidates and then ultimately employees so for example you know for me when you build a structured a fair recruitment process you build trust because you know you come out of the interview as a candidate going i was asked thoughtful questions you know people were organized they wrapped up in time and so forth you know then you know if you look at the candidate experience you know ultimately that candidate experience should be designed to build trust i received timely helpful feedback. There was a diverse interview panel. So for me, again, that, that's massive in, in creating that loyalty during the journey. You know, then when you're met an offer, getting a job offer is probably the biggest vote of confidence in you as a person. Nick. So sure. again, it's, it's a vote of trust in you. The same thing when, when the onboarding is right. It's like my manager has their stuff together. That's important. And then they work in a diverse team. That builds trust. But I suppose the hardest piece is then how do you do it, you know, in a more distributed environment. And I do think that's a fundamental question that we're all trying to adapt because it took us, what, 100 years or 200 years to adapt to working in an office. All of a sudden, I got to go, okay, how do I create that engagement with Nick, who is at home with his guitars behind him and you know, create that loyalty? So so I do think, you know, there's a lot of focus on that. And we're if any of the listeners have good ideas, I'd love if they could share them with me because to me, this is the thing that I'm focusing on most in my role as a leader right now is that creation of trust in a distributed environment. Super. And of course, do write into either myself or I will put um, Colm's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. So if you want to reach out to Colm directly, you can do so. Or you can catch me at nick at jjrecruitment.com and I'll fire those questions on. Something then it springs to mind in relation to what you just mentioned. I know that you don't have all the answers and, and well done for sort of being open to that, we're still trying to discover some answers to these things. But presumably with the onboarding process being as important as it is, Greenhouse have had to evolve with the new world of work as well. So tell me a little bit about how Greenhouse has evolved post-pandemic to to accommodate what is a, a, a rapidly evolving job market. So I think we're probably most fortunate in, in a lot of companies in terms of where we sit, you know, almost a tech stack that we provide. So, so obviously we provide a recruiting solution. We've always run structured hiring processes. I think where we've had to evolve as more as we go back to the hybrid world is, should we conduct all our interviews via Zoom? If we bring somebody in face-to-face, do they have an advantage over that person who was in Zoom? So for me, that's where you need to be incredibly thoughtful. The same thing 
in how you're managing people. So, you know, I rock into the office maybe two days a week, two and a half days a week. How do I make sure that the people who work out of the office don't have an unfair advantage over people who are working in a distributed environment because of their proximity or their ability to create connections? So again, I think having very fair performance management processes, that's really important. I think probably where we had an advantage, which lots of companies struggle the most was that structured onboarding process so how do you make sure that nick when he's not immersed in five of his colleagues around him how do you make sure that he has the support structures he has a learning path built um to make sure that we can we can get him productive in the shortest period of time for me that that's still one of the one of the biggest challenges um, that companies are, are working to. And I do think that technology is a massive enabler there, but it also helps companies scale. So so actually, you know, everything that you do nowadays in a hybrid world, it takes more time to get it up and running. Because for example, you may need to record training videos into an L&D tool or a training tool, an LMS tool. But guess what? You have that then forever, as opposed to the same person having to rock up to training, you know, in every onboarding class and give the same training. It takes a lot and you got to be much more intentional, even right down to practical things like, you know, running your company all hands. How do you make sure that it works for people who are physically on site and people who are virtual uh, and work virtually? The same thing last week or the week before last in Dublin, we had a an end of year celebration where we celebrated you know, all our achievements for the year. It took so much more effort to do that, you know, in a in a virtual environment where some people were on premise, we had to record videos, we had to make sure it was as inclusive as possible. And for me, they're the challenges that we're all working through. And if I'm honest, I don't think that greenness, I think we've some of the answers, probably in the areas of, you know, recruiting, uh, diversity, inclusion, onboarding and so forth. But but in the broader you know, HR management of people. I think we're learning it the same as, as everybody else. I love that. Okay. And also, let's be honest, the way that you are even articulating these responses are very much from a coaching mindset because you're you know, you're clearly very, very aware. And that's the key, I think, for a lot of employers is to to build the awareness around your hiring strategies, whatever they may be and where there may be pitfalls. And I love the fact that A, you've admitted that you're still learning, which I think is great, but also you, I think you've demonstrated a huge amount of awareness in your own processes at Greenhouse, but also of the wider you know, talent community at the minute. I'll, I'll give a, a little story from my side, which I thought was really interesting, is we had a, we placed an individual with a firm uh, recently, uh, first interview, second interview, both held by Zoom, got the offer and the individual decided not to accept the offer until she'd seen the offices because the the requirement of the job was to be in the office three days a week hybrid yeah. hybrid position the client was shocked well, like, well we have and they actually the, the offer fell through because the client was unable to find a time to meet the applicant on site before she was due to start and the applicant said right from the outset i'm not starting till i've seen the environment i'm going to be working in i love the hiring manager that's been great i want to accept the salary is good the flexibility is good but I want to see the environment before I commit myself. The inability of the client to find that space, that time for the individual and the delay that took meant the the, the candidate lost faith and never ended up taking the position, which was a little shame. I think it would have been good for both parties. But I think it highlighted something where we think we're doing everything right by going to immediately to, to virtual interviewing in this instance. But actually, if you're if you're not working 100% remote and there's a requirement for an individual to be in the office, I think it's absolutely right and fair for them to see that environment first. And we can often make these assumptions and then be caught out. 100%. And also that every time we're interviewing a candidate, 
they're also interviewing us because ultimately right. there's yeah. far more power residing with candidates than at, at any time in human history and your example perfectly illustrates you know that that power shift yeah for sure that's why we, we call it the great awakening which people will know if they listen to the show re- regularly right it's candidates have woken up and gone actually you know i don't need to put up with this anymore there's lots of positions out there that will take my talent and that's that's the reality of the situation now you've mentioned a lot about the importance of connection um you've been jet setting all over to denver and, and other locations washington what do you know it's all well and good meeting people and, and being being present uh, as an individual but what is what do meaningful connections in a distributed company like uh, greenhouse what does that really mean what, what does that look like there's no easy answer there i would say that you know it's, it's a multifaceted answer i do think that purpose is really important so you know for example in, in greenhouse our goal is to make companies great at hiring we believe that by making companies great at hiring that you know everybody gets a fair shot and then there's you know a, a lot of other reasons why, why why people buy into that and also why engineers might choose to work for us rather than maybe a google or a facebook or somewhere else where where, where they're paid more so i think that purpose is very important um i do also think that you know uh, so 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 I suppose what am I trying to say? It's the inspire level at a company level, but then also it's the inspire level at an individual level. I'm, I'm a massive believer in the gift of time. So what does that mean? It means that if I can sit down and understand, okay, what are Nick's strengths? What are his ambitions? And ultimately give the time to try and build a plan with that individual to achieve their goals, achieve their ambitions, and ultimately progress in their career. I think that's a heavier, a more concrete level of inspiration that you can give any employee to create create that connection. And ultimately, you know, that's that. I, 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 the people that I've worked with, the managers that I've worked with that have been most generation are generous with their time. That's where I've built, you know, the, the strongest connection um, and ultimately, you know, a, a level of loyalty that that. You know, means that I, I, you know, I haven't moved around a lot in my career, but it's it's usually because I've worked with those those type of people who've doubled down on my development, and I try and mirror that with the people that I work with. Right, I love that brilliant response. So, we talked a little bit about equality and and and, and inclusion, and and obviously that's it's as it rightly should be is something that's right front and centre of the way the greenhouse run their business. What can companies do, though, to ensure they're fostering an inclusive workplace in this new world of work? Are there strategies or or processes that you could recommend as best practice for those listening that go, actually, you know, we're, we're on that pathway, but there's still challenges ahead? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I'd say it's really, really important. Professionals are increasingly prioritizing personal values in deciding where to work. And that's particularly the case for millennials and for 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 generations and so sure. you know therefore working in diverse teams it's often a prerequisite that they they seek out so what does that mean well it means gender parity it means working with people from different parts of the world working with people from underrepresented groups and so on and the data does demonstrate that that you know the more inclusive a company is the stronger the business so you know you mentioned some data points earlier on one that i love is according to mckenzie companies in the top quartile for yeah. racial and ethnic diversity, they're 35% more likely to have financial results above the industry mean, while, while companies in the top quartile for, for gender diversity are 15% more likely to do the same. So, you know, that's 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 the why companies should, should focus on it. For me, before going straight into action, you know, in, in terms of building 
and creating diverse teams, I think you need to start with the awareness. So, you know, really look at the data. So, you know, understand what your company, current company makeup is. You know, if you're a manager, you know, look at your team structure and, and how that how that works. Then go and, and figure out, okay, what, what's driving that? So start then by auditing your current hiring process. So figuring out where people are falling through the cracks. It could be that it's a female engineer and she's been interviewed by an all-male hiring panel. Like that's that's a challenge. You know, it could be again a female engineer who whose take-home tests for that particular demographic, they're not coming through as strongly. So there's something in the take-home test, something in the process that's that that's not working. Um, and people are falling through the cracks. So then you go, okay, who owns those processes? So I suppose what I'm trying to say is, is gathering this information. That's the first step. And then you're going to start to see patterns. So you can work with people to get them on board, you know, with, with the necessary changes. Because I, I, let me give you another example that comes through a lot. You know, you often hear, and I'm sure you get it in, in your role, Nick, there's not enough female engineering candidates. And, you know, that's why we've so few female engineers in the team. When actually, when we look at the data and we look at the aggregate data across, you know, almost every company that we deal with, there is far more candidates that come in top of funnel than people who are given jobs. So ultimately, you know, there there are things happening in that process that that the results in bias. So so for me, it was that's the first thing: is do your diagnostic, and then align in goals. So once you align in goals, what you're trying to achieve, you can start to make changes. So that could mean sourcing from different places. It could mean changing your screening tactics. It could be, you know, make sure your interview processes are standardized. But for me, I suppose, you know, what I'd always say is you won't know what problems are fiction if you jump straight into action, measure first, then iterate and improve the process. And then more as a human level, broaden your perspective, broaden your network, sit with people who are impacted by, you know, inclusion challenges and understand more the problems that you're trying to, to solve for. Yeah, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there across the board, really, from where you know, in my wheelhouse of recruitment, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more on a lot of those things. I think something that um, you picked out on, and I'm going to ask the question because you have a background working for, for LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention the, the company name because it's a company that most of my listeners will be familiar with. You mentioned that it's important for inclusive purposes that we recruit from, from different places. And I think we've got to a point where a lot of firms feel like if they've got access to LinkedIn, that's the panacea that, that it's done. You know, that's that's giving me access to everybody. And there's a, there's I would like to reiterate to everyone that, yes, it's a great platform. I use it regularly in my business. You work for them. But actually, if we do want to be truly inclusive and we do want to get people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, because not everyone can afford computers, for example, or will have access to online access, things like that. There'll also be a certain um, shared characteristic of individuals that even use LinkedIn. Right or social platforms. I mean, many more introverted people, or just don't want to be on social media, or don't you know they aren't on there for those reasons. They're automatically omitted then from potential hiring processes. If you're only limiting yourself to one platform, I'm not going to be not going to advertise where else you can go. But what I'd like to just emphasize here, and I'd love to get your take as someone who's worked there, is it's a it's an amazing resource. But I, from my perspective, in the world of recruitment, it's limiting from an inclusive point of view to only rely on any single platform. I, I, I 100% agree. And the reason I agree is that ultimately it goes back to the measuring and understanding the data and the importance of data. So if you know you go and you look at your data, it'll 
identify what platforms the best candidates are coming for. It may or may not be LinkedIn. It could be Indeed. It could be could be somewhere else. It, it'll help you identify, for example, if you're trying to source people from underrepresented groups, where they're coming from. So that then helps you determine where you put your limited spending. So for me, you know, I 100% agree. I think you should have a multi-tiered strategy, including direct sourcing yourself. So for example, sure. one of the things that we do in Greenhouse, particularly for, you know, targeting people from under, underrepresented groups, whether, you know, that could be females and engineers or, you know, or, or other groups, before we open up a role, we source ourselves for weeks so or a recruitment team, hold a role, do their sourcing, diversity sourcing for a week, and then open it to the public because otherwise they're on a react, they're working a reactive basis. They're working all the applicants, which may be more likely to have come in from LinkedIn or for somewhere else rather than going outbound themselves. So I think there, you know, you do need a multi-channel strategy to finding the right people. Last question before we open the vault is this, I would like to give you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about what Greenhouse do. It's a platform I'm familiar with as a recruiter because we have clients that already use it, but there may be HR professionals listening to this that aren't familiar with what the platform does and, 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 and what it represents. So I wonder if you can just give us a bit of insight into Greenhouse. Yeah, Greenhouse are a hiring software platform. You know, our mission is to make companies great at hiring. And ultimately, we do that through encouraging companies to embrace a structured hiring process because as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you if you follow a structured hiring process, it means that candidates get a fair shot at uh, every job opportunity, and ultimately, that has a huge economic uh, impact on particularly people from underrepresented groups because you know if they get a fair shot, it's a huge impact um, on on all of our families. Generally, when we move, we typically move for some sort of compensation increase. So that's typically what what Greenhouse do. You know, certainly a massive focus for us as an organization. You know, if you think a fair hiring process is encouraging organizations to double down and focus on their DNI practices. So in the product, we've a lot of DNI DNI nudges built into the product just to make sure that we're mitigating and hiring managers are, are mitigating. You know, the potential for unconscious bias. We have the most open platform in the tech ecosystem. So we have 400 plus partners that allows recruiters and recruiting teams to adopt best of breed strategies, you know, um, adopting the best possible technology to driving their recruiting practices and, and building out their, their their tech stack for their recruiting teams. You know, we've, we've uh, a very vast reporting capability, ultimately trying to encourage or organize or, or encourage our, our customers to iterate and improve the hiring process at every step. And obviously the, the examples like when I gave the DNI examples earlier, ultimately that's what you're trying to do is figure out, okay, you know, where's the process breaking down and how do we continually improve how the recruitment function operates? Fantastic. And, you know, just to put it out there as well, as a recruiter myself, I wouldn't have invited Colin to be on the show if I wasn't a big believer in what you're trying to do, <laughs> right? Because I work in the world of talent and recruitment. And, and I think hopefully there's a lot for people to learn and a lot of awareness created today. And hopefully people can see the value in talking to, um, you know, general manager of what is a, a brilliant tech platform for the world of talent and recruitment. So thanks for joining me and talking me through that in more detail. I'm going to just open the HR and vault for you, Colin. Uh, three short, sharp questions. Opening the L&D vault. 
first one is this. If you can give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Never underestimate the potential of any particular human being. Um, so many people that I've worked with have limiting beliefs on somebody's growth potential. My one advice is really double down and try and figure out, okay, you know, what, what makes that person work and makes that person operate. You'd be surprised what every individual can go on and achieve. That's powerful. I'll leave that just there. Perfect. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? I would encourage them to get out of their comfort zone more. So, for example, conversations like I'm having with you today, Nick, that's something that I've had to grow into. Whereas okay. one of my kids, they would do this all day and all night. But I think that's where the growth is found when you get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, perfect. And last but not least, what is the guiding principle or behavior you've seen in every great leader that you've worked with? That's a good question. I ultimately think that comes down to their ability to create connection and build trust. So, you know, I, I worked with one leader. His name is Dave Aldridge. He worked with me in Oracle. And to this day, I would go to war for him. But a lot of it was because he took the time to ring me and go, hey, Colin, how's it going? Like what's what's happening today? What's happening in your business? Understanding the business. And I, I do believe it's that if somebody can give you the gift of time, the gift of their insight, that bond and that level of connection brings you to places that you will will will, will never go with, with lots of other leaders. Yeah, nice. I mean, you mentioned the, the ability to create time early on in the show. And you also just mentioned there as well that if you create time and give people communication in your previous point, it can really reduce the number of limiting beliefs that we have. So I think that ties in beautifully so um yeah listen Tom, thank you ever so much for, for joining me you're very very welcome it's been an absolute pleasure being on the show nick and of course for those that want to find out more about greenhouse there will be links in the show notes not just to the website which is pretty um expansive on its own with the, the things that they offer you on the site but also there's a couple of blogs i'm going to draw your attention to uh, one is all about people first companies though for those that want to find out more and the second one is all about where the future belongs uh, in relation to people so do check those out give them a read check out view, uh, more about greenhouse if you wish to do so and also i'll put a link to columns linkedin profile as well if you do have those questions or those insights even you can support Colin with the challenges you're facing with by all means reach out directly. Of course, if you are also an HRLND leader listening to the show and you need some support with a specialist vacancy and you do want to work with an external agency like ourselves, this is our wheelhouse. This is what we do. I've been doing it for 20 plus years and I've got a wonderful team behind me that can support you with whatever your requirement might be. So please do get in touch. My link will also be in the show notes. You can email me at nick at jjrecruitment.com or get any of my team on jgarecruitment.com URL as well. Um, so just leave say a huge thank you to... Colin O'Connor for joining me today on the HRND podcast. I look forward to bringing the next show real soon. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the HRLD podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or LD vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favourite podcast channels. Till next time.